Amen. Thank you, brother. And thank you, deacons, for serving God's people. God bless you. Let's, uh, let's get a Bible and let's go to uh, Luke. Let's take a look into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. always love to hear uh, stories of how God has changed people's lives. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, for me, I think my relationship with the Lord began uh, at seven years of age, but uh, you know, every, every testimony is different. I love also to hear testimonies of people that you know, were not saved at, at a young age. You know, um, They did some serious sinning before they came to know Jesus right that's also precious so thank you brothers for sharing uh, with God's people well usually I get up and I begin with uh, like a story or a quote or something like that to grab every uh, everyone's attention okay so because of the testimonies and uh, the equipping for evangelism uh, from Lance I really don't have the time to do that so, so so could I just have your attention can we just go ahead and get into the word would that be okay I don't want to assume that. I don't want to assume that we're all together, all right? But are you hungry for the Word of God? Amen? Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 24. And today I, I'm, be, I'm going to be speaking on the resurrection of Jesus, and I have four insights, okay? Four insights into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And basically, number one is Jesus gives proof of His resurrection, Jesus fulfills prophecy about his death and resurrection. Jesus instructs about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus will fulfill the promise of his return. So before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll dive into the word. So Father, I pray right now that you would arrest our attention. I pray that you would sanctify my heart, my mind, uh, as well as those that are listening. Sanctify our hearts, our minds. Sanctify this very room for your kingdom purposes. Uh, we pray the same for those that are online. Pray that they would be locked in, not distracted, Lord, as we hear your word being preached. Lord, I pray that you would bring salvation to the lost. I pray that you would be the lifter up of your bride's head. Help us to see you in all your glory. Strengthen the church. Protect the church. Direct the church. Bring correction. Bring freedom, Lord. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look at these four insights regarding uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Just a real quick uh, recap. This is one-fourth of your entire New Testament. So Luke is part one. Acts is part two. When you collect those together, that's one-fourth. Actually, it's a little over one-fourth of your New Testament. <clears throat> and here's how the story goes. It begins in Galilee, if you might recall, in the uh, synagogue at Nazareth. And then he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he's going through Samaria and Judea. He's healing people. He's setting people free from demonic uh, bondage by the power of God. And then what happens at Jerusalem? Uh, the, uh, the opposition to Jesus increases, and it culminates in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But guess what happened? Three days later, what? Up from the grave, he arose. Amen? He ascends. Okay? That's how Luke ends, and we're going to be in this uh, uh, 
that last chapter for a little bit. How does Acts begin? Well, guess what? Same thing. It begins with the ascension, okay? And then the church, uh, beginning in Jerusalem, breaks out and starts to uh, obey Jesus Christ in the Great Commission. And uh, the church ran into no problems as they were obeying the Great Commission, right? They had no problems. It was all peachy king, right? It was all good. No. Opposition. Political opposition. Spiritual opposition. Social opposition. Financial opposition. And barrier after barrier, the church of the living God is breaking through. Amen? The church of the living God is breaking through political barriers, is breaking through uh, ethnic barriers, social justice issues, breaking through, pressing on, growing. Um, Spiritual oppression, the horde of principalities and powers that are arrayed and aligned against the church, they're breaking through. They're breaking through. And we have that heritage. Why is there a First Baptist Church of the Colony? Because of the faithfulness of those that have gone before us. Amen? And so it is incumbent upon us that we too continue to be the salt and light that God has made us to be in Jesus Christ and break through the same barriers, okay? Suffering persecution, we, we, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep on going. And then it expands, the church of God expands to Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's a recap of one-fourth of your Bible, all right? I wanted to bring up this guy again real quick. Everybody say David Hume. Okay. Uh, those of you in, in uh, high school, you need to know this guy. Uh, those of you going on to college, university, those of you that feel called to the ministry, you need to know this guy because of this guy with the shower cap on his head, he's had massive influence, okay, as to how people think about miracles, all right? Some of you have already seen this, and you're saying, well, why, why are you bringing the showerhead guy up again? Because I want you to know David Hume, okay? So don't just say, oh, there he is, uh, and let's move on. No, no. Do you know who David Hume is, and do you know what he's saying? Okay? So just take a look there. He's saying a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. Boo! Okay, so he's a deist. He believes in God. God has wound up the world, but God no longer intervenes in the world, especially through miracles, because according to him, based on human experience, they just don't happen. Well, excuse me. Yes, they do. God still intervenes. Amen? He still intervenes. That's why we should pray. My younger sister, Mindy, she's 48 years old. She's going to the doctor on Monday. She has breast cancer. I'm praying that God would deliver her and heal her. Amen? Right? So boo on you, David Hume. And he assumes atheism or deism and its uh, circular reasoning. So he is like the philosophical giant, okay, that um, influences a lot of modern thinking, even among Christians. All right? Let's get to number one of the four insights. Number one, Jesus gives proof of his resurrection. Uh, What does that proof look like? Well, let's see it beginning in verse 36 of chapter Luke 24. If you've got Luke chapter 24, verse 36, say, I'm ready. Ready? While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, this is after the, resur- uh, after the crucifixion, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, 
that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you any, uh, anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Wow, <laughs> this is wonderful. There are at least five pieces of evidence just in this section that I just read. Can I tell them to you real quick? First of all, Jesus stood in their midst, okay? He's not dialing in his resurrection. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Does this, <coughs> excuse me. Does it seem like it's a little uh, loud in here? I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm yelling at you. So maybe back down the, the audio a little bit because I might start preaching uh, throughout this message and I don't want you to feel like I'm yelling at you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, thank you. So Jesus stood in his, he's not dialing in his resurrection, okay? Uh, there's no emailing it in. There's no text. There's no phone call. At this point, he is not sending an angel, though there were a couple at the, the, the tomb, right? Uh, he's not sending a prophet to tell it, everyone, I've risen. No, no. Jesus Christ himself shows up. This is beautiful. I love it. The guy that was reduced to human rubble on a Roman cross just a few days ago is the same guy that's in the room with these fearful uh, disciples. And all of them are on freakout mode, if I could say that. So that's the first piece of evidence. Second, Jesus spoke to them, okay? It was a word of what? We see it in verse 36. What's the first thing out of the mouth of Jesus Christ? The very thing that they needed, peace. Peace. They did not have peace. They had turmoil. They just saw the Messiah crucified naked on a Roman cross. Peace. I find that I need that message in my heart in this day and age. How about you? Oh, that the church of God would hear Jesus Christ speaking that word to you now. Peace. Peace be unto you. Third, Jesus stood in their midst. He spoke to them. Jesus asks them about why they are troubled and why they have doubt. And this is a big deal because the original proclaimers of Jesus' resurrection, listen, they had to become convinced themselves, okay? At first, listen, at first, they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and they were his followers. We often forget that, right? So he asked them, why are they troubled, and why do they doubt? That's still uh, applicable to us as well, right? Why are we so troubled? Why do we doubt? Number four, Jesus shows them the scars on his hands and feet. That's another uh, offer of evidence. And then number five, Jesus asks for food, and he eats broiled fish in front of them. <laughs> hey, you got something to eat around here? <laughs> Let's throw it in the microwave, right? A spirit does not eat f uh, broiled f uh, fish, all right? Now, let's take the lens back a little bit from verses 36 to 43. Let's, let's uh, take the lens back, and I want to show you what most unbelieving scholars affirm about Jesus' resurrection. Can I show this to you? This is wonderful. So, <clears throat> what I'm about to show you here 
are historical facts that atheist New Testament scholars believe, that agnostic uh, uh, New Testament scholars believe. By the way, do you all know what an agnostic is? If you don't know what an agnostic is, it's not the atheist who denies the existence of God. Uh, the, the agnostic position is, well, I'm not sure. Or, well, we cannot be sure. So it's not a big honking no. It's like, mm, I don't know. All right? And then also, even Jewish New Testament scholars, all of them would, would affirm what I'm about to show you as historical facts. All right? This is so cool. So these are not people who graduated from Benny Hinn's Backyard Bible School. Okay? These are like scholars. Number one, Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. Atheistic scholars, agnostic scholars, even Jewish New Testament scholars, they affirm that historical fact. Okay? Real quick. His disciples had experiences they believe were of the risen Jesus. They affirm that. Three, because they believe this, it turned the world upside down. I was pleased to gather with about... Uh, I think nine, nine people who are in the new member class that they have an interest, they want to join our church. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a good thing. And one of the things I like to show people is how many Greek and um, various manuscripts that we have of the scriptures in light of Tacitus or Josephus or other historical figures because they only have like five or six copies of that, right? Julius Caesar, nine copies, just, just different copies. Christianity, Thousands, over 25,000 different manuscripts. Why is that important? It shows the explosion of the impact of Christianity uh, in the world. And it also authenticates the uh, genuineness of the Bible as God's word. Because we can say, hey, the copier didn't cross the T or dot the I, right? You, there's good evidence to believe your Bible, beloved. Amen. All right, number four. It was proclaimed early. Okay? In other words, don't listen to the people who say the deity of Jesus was cooked up by the Council of Nicaea in, by a corrupt church in A.D. 3, uh, 325. That's, that's not true. Those who say that, they don't know their stuff. That's not true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was part of the early kerygma, the early proclamation of the church. It wasn't ginned up later. Okay? That is so important. Even unbelieving Jews admit Christianity is a resurrection religion. It's what powered uh, Christianity. And the three main leaders were willing to die because of it. Peter, Paul, James. In fact, on this note here, the early proclamation, I've, I've, uh, I've told you about this guy named uh, Bart Ehrman. You guys remember Bart Ehrman? If you don't know him, he's out and about in the pu public sphere trying to basically... Uh, uh, argue against Christianity, okay? And even he admits that the deity and resurrection were proclaimed right after the resurrection. That means there was already a body of creeds and teaching before Paul believes in Christ. So some people say, well, Paul invented Christianity. That's not true. That's not true. It's early. And I got a couple more here. The life of Paul. How, can you explain the life of Paul? He was persecuting Christians, now Jesus <laughs> appears before him. Now he's preaching Jesus. That's what, that's what uh, Jesus Christ does. So yeah, take a picture of that. There's the six main uh, historical facts that unbelieving scholars affirm about 
the resurrection of Jesus. Well, uh, in, in other words, a lot of them now have stopped listening to the ideas of giving a naturalistic explanation of Jesus. For example, people say, well, Jesus, he really didn't um, die when he was on the cross. This is what they'll say. He didn't die on the cross. What happened was, students, he fainted. Jesus fainted on the cross. They looked up at him and said, well, I guess he's dead. Took him down, put him in the tomb, and because of the cold slab, it revived him, and that's what happened. That's, that's what happened. He didn't really die. How ridiculous is that, right? Here's another one they'll throw out. No, Jesus didn't rise from the grave. See, what happened was the disciples went to the wrong tomb. That's what happened. Again, ridiculous. Here's my, here's my favorite. Uh, Jesus really didn't die, or rather rise from the grave. What happened was they all hallucinated. They were so emotionally disturbed and so distraught because, you know, the crucifixion, they were all just hallucinating, right? Like 500 people have the same hallucination at the same time? No, it doesn't happen. So because of these, you know, not, not good ex uh, uh, materialistic uh, explanations of the, of the resurrection, that's what they now believe, the majority of them. Gary Habermas is the leading scholar on the resurrection. Anybody ever heard of Gary? Gary Habermas? Those of you? Okay, good. You guys need to know that guy. He has penned over 40 books and over 100 articles. He's given over 1,500 lectures in universities, seminaries, and colleges all over the world. He's the distinguished research professor and chair in the Department of Philosophy and Theology at Liberty University, where he has taught for 30 years. So, this is coming from his material, actually. So, you might be thinking, well, if the scholars believe that, then why don't they actually believe in Jesus? Why don't they actually have faith? Well, according to Gary, what they will say is, in the face of these historical facts, they'll say things like, well, I just don't want to believe. I just don't want to believe. Or they'll say something like, you are implicitly suggesting I believe in a world like Middle Earth or like Narnia or like Oz. There's no world like that. There's no ultimate universe or existence. And of course, they say these things because they're materialists, right? They believe in only what is material. They are anti-supernatural. And the Bible is filled with weird supernatural stuff. Most of all, God, right? God. This is where the data on near-death experiences are so important. Now, stay with me now. Am I losing anybody? Stay with me. So they believe this stuff. Well, why don't they believe in Jesus then? Well, I just don't want to believe in that, and it's, you're, 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 you're calling me to believe in a fairy tale kind of world or existence, like Narnia. 30 million people have said they have had a near-death experience in North America, England, and Europe. Let's just say that number 30 million is blown up. Let's say it's 20 million. That 20 million have been to Narnia and back, okay? You can't say there's no empirical evidence for this. You can't say there's no data on the subject. Gary Habermas has himself documented 300 near-death experiences, and what's the topic? It's about the afterlife. It's about the afterlife. So listen, let me affirm what the church would be quick 
to affirm. There is a life after life, right? Jesus has been to the other side of death and came back so that you would know and not have the fear of death. Look how what COVID has done, right? Look how in bondage the world is through the fear of death, right? Praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you thought about the afterlife? When was the last time you thought, where am I going to go after I die? Where will you spend eternity? The Bible says, Jesus Christ says, it's one of two places. It's in the bliss of God's presence in heaven, or it's in the place of condemnation and torment in hell. That's it. So have you considered where you will spend eternity? We would say, believe Jesus, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Believe, right? What are you going to say in the face of this, this, this evidence? Believe in Jesus Christ. He came so that we might have life. Eternal life comes by believing Jesus and trusting him uh, to save you. Not your good works because they're like filthy rags before God. This, this, this is a game changer. The resurrection is the greatest game changer in human history. So, so Easter's coming now, right? Easter's coming. I want to encourage you to get this book. Check this out. I want to encourage you to get uh, this book. It's a good book to give uh, to unbelieving friends, family members, neighbors, and coworkers. All right? And it's got a whole lot of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be cool to give everyone on your street in which you live that, that book a week before Easter? Or as Lance said, you know, as we invite them uh, to come to church and celebrate the resurrection. All right? And let Gary Habermas do the witnessing for you. Get that book, put it in their hands, and then follow up. Hey, did you read any of that? By the way, did you read chapter 2, that one section where he said this? Have you considered that? And we can get the message of the gospel out. All right, that's number one. Number two, Jesus fulfills prophecy about his death and resurrection. Let's pick up in verse uh, 44. Verse 44, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and, uh, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow. Do you see how we're dependent upon God to understand the scriptures? And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. That's beautiful. All right, so here I'm saying Jesus fulfills prophecy about his death and resurrection, and the Lord 
in this passage gives three, the, the basic uh, three-part breakdown or division of the Old Testament. Did you notice? What are the three parts according to verse 44? So Jesus is summarizing the Old Testament, three-part division. What are they? Look, the law of Moses, number one, right? The Psalms, number, uh, the prophets, number two, and then the Psalms. So, reading the Old Testament, well, reading the Bible among churchgoers is going bye-bye, okay? All, all the research indicates that God's people are not reading God's word more, okay? Uh, worse still, the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament is going bye-bye, okay? It's happening not only among churchgoers, it's also happening among preachers, and unfortunately, this is also happening among systematic theologians as well as New Testament scholars, the study of the Old Testament. You've heard me uh, talk about Andy uh, Stanley before, right? He's one of the most influential preachers in America. And he is saying, essentially, that because America cannot identify with the culture and the theology of the Old Testament, he wants to pivot and say, well, let's just start with the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Well, if that is such a good idea, then why doesn't Jesus do that in his resurrection appearance? Are you following? So here he is in his resurrection appearance, and what is he doing? (laughs) He's pointing to what? the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, do you see uh, how, how important the Old Testament is to Jesus Christ? Right? Look at verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, keyword fulfilled. Hence, Jesus fulfills prophecy about his death and resurrection. Jesus points to the resurrection, uh, to the importance, rather, of the Old Testament for understanding his resurrection. And with the love of God and the passion of Jesus Christ, I want to take a guy like Andy Stanley and say, Hello, my brother. Do you not see this? I think there's other reasons why he's doing it, though. There's a lot in the Old Testament or cataclysmic things in the Old Testament about things like homosexuality. And Atlanta is a hotbed, has a growing uh, uh, group related to homosexuality. And so it's, it's incumbent upon us in God's house and among God's people not to give in to the culture and try to reduce everything just so that people will be comfortable, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is crystal clear. It's a litany of church members and it describes what their life was like before they came to Jesus Christ. And among that list is homosexuals, right? That's what Jesus Christ does. He changes us, amen? He changes us. I don't think we should be smarter than Jesus. How about you all? Right? Let's have Jesus as our pattern for preaching and how to win people to him, right? Are we better evangelists than Jesus? I don't think so. 
well, maybe not. I think maybe God should have checked with me before the resurrection of Jesus, right? Because I would have advised him to videotape the resurrection. Amen. Certainly more people would uh, believe if I had the resurrection on a video clip on my iPhone, right? Wrong. Wrong. No. But since I'm speaking to a majority of listeners who say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, let's look at what people have and what they do when they truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Would you like to see that? It's in the passage. They're found in verse 52 and 53. I see four things. See if you see them with me. Number one, they begin to worship Jesus. Verse 52, this is why he's blessing them. He's parted, he's uh, he's carried away into after, and they after um, and they after worshiping him, they begin to worship Jesus. People who believe in the resurrection, Jesus is first place in their lives. He's number one. Everyone else and everything else comes at a distant second. Everything and everyone comes after Jesus. You guys remember when that "I am second campaign broke out, right? "I am second. Nothing comes before Jesus. No one comes before Jesus. When this is true, the second thing happens. So they begin to worship Jesus. Number two, they have great joy. Do you see it with me? And they, after worshiping him, return to Jerusalem with what? Just joy? No. Great joy. Great joy. <laughs> He's alive. Jesus Christ is alive. They have great joy because they know what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. Everything he said and did is now vindicated because up from the grave he arose. That means the devil's defeated. The devil is a capital L loser, right? Loser. He must be the most frustrated being in the universe because everything that the devil throws at God and at that point on a Roman cross, everything the devil threw at Jesus, he took in himself. He took everything the devil could, could give him in verbal, listen to me, listen to me, in verbal abuse, in sexual abuse, psychological abuse, all that's happening to Jesus Christ on the Roman cross. And that was the very means by which we get saved. Jesus Christ took everything the devil uh, uh, gave him, and that's the means by which he purchases our salvation. <laughs> it's just glorious. <laughs> they have great joy. They have great joy. Everything is now different. Everything's different uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means God's going to restore everything in Jesus Christ. Death is defeated. Death is no longer to be feared. Everything is going to be restored back to Eden's paradise. All of the struggle in this life is not worth comparing to the next life if we're in Jesus Christ. Amen? Not even worthy to be compared. Every injustice will be dealt with either on the cross or in hell. Right? Every evil politician who worked to increase abortion and failed to protect children from immorality will be judged by God. Amen. Uh, someone sent me a video clip. You guys know who, 
well, I, I might be a little nervous to ask you this. Does anybody know Bill Maher? You guys know who that is? Raise your hand if you know who Bill Maher is, okay? He's like a massive, uh, you know, liberal unbeliever. He was interviewing uh, Megan Megan Kelly. You guys know who Megan Kelly is, right? She used to be with Fox and then and all that. Well, Megan Kelly and her husband have two kids. They live in uh, New York, and they're quite wealthy, right? And so they put their two kids into the you know top tier private school. And she's got an eight and nine year old, and a I think a, a kindergartner. And in that age group, they're teaching their kids this social justice stuff and this transgenderism stuff. Eight and nine years old. Kindergarten. Sloppy Joe Biden has teed up this uh, man named Richard Levine, right? Who, well, he goes by Rachel now. So Richard is now Rachel. And he has brought him forth to be the assistant secretary of the uh, Health and Human Services. Okay? And he advocates, he was, he, was mar- he was a married man with two kids, and then he decided he wanted to be a woman. He advocates giving medicine to minors in order to, quote, uh, stop the wrong type of puberty. So if a boy thinks that he's a girl, he advocates giving medicine to stop puberty. That's called child abuse, beloved. All right? That's child abuse. And you can be on freak-out mode and, oh, no, here we go, politics. Yeah, here we go. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? Right? That's not just insanity, as one brother told me. That is evil to the core that is that is intelligent evil they're after your children beloved they want to brainwash your children beloved who's going to stand up against it who's going to say no who's going to push back the darkness well how do we do it well it starts with how you vote amen call your call your leaders and say no this is this is wrong push back it was funny in that video with Bill Maher. So he's a real leftist, you know, progressive type guy, and he's listening to Megyn Kelly, and he's on Megyn Kelly's side because they plucked up their children up out of that nonsense, as they should, right? And Bill Maher was like, listen, don't make me sound like Tucker Carlson, but I, I'm, on your, I'm on your side on this, you know? I mean, it's so outlandish and crazy that Bill Maher is waking up to the nutso of this stuff wow well some of you don't look real happy some of you look real happy I like you amen number two Jesus fulfills prophecy about his death and resurrection so do you see how I made just like a just a practical example as it relates to this okay all right here's another thing let's see what did I give you here Uh, they begin to worship Jesus they have great joy okay thirdly they continually gather at a place of worship. Look at verse 53. There's an important word in verse 53 in relation to the place of worship. It's the word continually. Amen. Continually. 
It means to consistently persist in. It means to keep on with devotion. If I could put it this way, it's like a righteous stubbornness. I'm going to constantly persist in gathering with the people of God at the place of worship. I'm going to keep on with devotion in a righteously stubborn way to gather with God's people at a place of worship. And of course, this means they had a purposeful priority regarding participating in worship at the main place of worship, which is what? The temple, right? They're going to the temple. The temple was destroyed in AD 70, and so was the sacrificial system of Judaism. With the ascension of Christ, the spirit of Christ comes, makes his people his indwelling place, Now we are the temple of God, amen? We are the temple of God. But that does not mean that gathering together to worship is no longer important. And with the coming of COVID-19, it has challenged many people's understanding of the church, has it not? What is, the, what is our ecclesiology? What is the doctrine of the church? Pastors, we, we struggle with doing church in COVID-19, right? As I have said many times related to this, follow your conscience regarding how you attend. Amen. Follow your conscience. But here today, I will also want to say, be consistent be consistent. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Mark? Are you out and about with others in public? Do you go in other people's homes, but you don't gather with God's people for worship? Is that consistent? Follow your conscience, right? Just as there are different levels of um, uh, faithfulness in this crowd, right, in the building, there's also different degrees of faithfulness for those who are online, right? Follow your conscience, Be aware and beware of how easily convenience can compromise. In fact, you might want to write that down if you're uh, um, uh, taking notes. It's easy for convenience uh, to compromise us. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I've seen it in my life too, all right? So we're in this together, all right? In fact, I made a video of this, and I was afraid to show it to you. Uh, I made a video of myself from the pool Right, videoing myself, uh, talking about how there's a they're they're working on a hologram. Did you know that? So you know how we meet on meetings via Zoom, that kind of thing, where they're working on a hologram. I mean, this we're getting into Star Wars territory here, right? And I was contemplating how to do church. You know what I could do is really I could just hologram myself or hologram some preacher and, and hologram right here in the pulpit. What do y'all think about that? I could be on the pool on Sundays, just hologram myself. What do y'all think? Ah, it would be a recording of the preaching of the word of God. How about that? You guys are saying, no, don't throw anything at me, right? This is a weird digital world we live in, beloved. And I'm here to remind you of that verse in Hebrews where it talks about gathering together. Don't forsake the gathering together of God's people as some have, right? A couple members, uh, I won't call out any names, but uh, some of our members that have been online you know, they're starting to come back, and I was talking to a couple of them last Sunday, and they're just so encouraged by being here physically. You know, they were just expressing how it's different. It's different, you know? So follow your conscience. 
all right? Follow your conscience. And those of you online, I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking any convenience that we might be, you know, tend to give in to. Follow your conscience. All right, number four, here's another thing for those that believe the resurrection. They continually praise God. They continually gather at a place of worship. They continually praise God. Just like a righteous stubbornness in gathering at the place of worship, so too people who truly believe in the resurrection, because of his resurrection, they are persistently praising God. So they begin to worship Jesus. They have great joy. They continually gather at a place of worship. They continually praise God. These are at least four indications of genuine belief. So no matter your circumstances, beloved, praise God. Amen? When you're sick, praise God when you're sick. When you're stressed out, praise God when you're stressed out. When you're not sure about your job situation, bless the name of the Lord. Amen? When you're, when you're weeping and you're at the graveside of a loved one, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise, continually praise God. Persistently praise praise God. That is the mark of people who actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the world knows none of this. The world knows none of this. And this is what the enemy is trying to squash in my life and in your life. Number three, quickly, those uh, proposed deacons, they, they spoke too much, didn't they? They, they? they took away minutes in preaching. Jesus instructs about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, let's keep moving. So we're done with Luke. Now let's go. Let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, what's the first account? The first account I composed is what? Luke, right? Until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, say it, church, power. You will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit, I hear you, little one, amen, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That last verse 8, that's the outline of all of Acts. As I showed you on that graph before, that's a summary of Acts, uh, verse 8. But I do want to highlight verse 2. All right? He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. We're talking orders here. All the military brothers and sisters out there, we, you know orders, right? That's a strong word. So not only is Easter coming, we also have spring break coming. Can I get an amen for spring break coming, right? Maybe 
you're not happy about that, I don't know. Does anybody have travel plans this spring break? Okay, yes, some of you yes, some of you no. Anybody going to a beach in Texas or Florida? Maybe, yeah, okay, all right. How about Paris Island, South Carolina for vacation? Anybody? No, probably not, because that's where the Marine recruits <laughs> go to boot camp. <laughs> they're tested, they're trained, and they endure a lot of challenges. However, as one old-time Marine said, if you do what they tell you to do, when they tell you to do it, that's how you have success, <laughs> right? And he gave an example of one early morning, the recruits were awakened, and the drill instructors told them they have five seconds to shave. <laughs> five seconds? They know exactly that they don't have, that's not enough time to shave, but they give them that order anyway. But on this occasion, the recruits were told to get back in line while they were still shaving. So there's a dilemma. Do they finish shaving and get back in line, or do they obey the last order, which is to get back in line even if they're not done shaving? <laughs> right? So the recruits with success go back in line with shaving cream still on their faces and half of their sha uh, face unshaven. One young Marine came back from boot camp and asked, uh, his dad asked him what he learned and his son said dad I learned what the word now means absolutely beloved listen life is not a playground it's not it's not a game in many respects listen to me it's a war it's an absolute all out war and only those who persevere to the end will be saved did you know that only those who persevere to the end will be saved. And when you're in a war, the mission is extremely important. The mission provides cohesion. It provides unity to the warfighters. Boot camp breaks you down and builds you back up in order to follow orders when all hell is breaking loose with bombs and bullets. It's about the mission. It's about following orders. That's how you protect those in your unit, right? Life and death is at stake. Do you know what our unity should be built on for this church or any local church? I mean, we have different people, different ages, different backgrounds, different education, different kinds of workplaces, different incomes, different shades of skin color. What should unify a local church? I'm here to tell you, the mission. Amen. The mission, the orders given to it by the Lord Jesus Christ, his commands, his commission. And here I want to tee up what you do at your job because that matters. That matters. Your, your work is a huge part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Your work is your mission trip. Amen. And within the SBC family, we have so idolized the call to go overseas or cross-cultural missions, we have minimized the importance of the workplace. And I just want to remind you, beloved, what you do at work, that counts for the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Turn your work into worship. Amen. You have to put up with a bunch of stuff at work as a Christian in this world, don't you, beloved? Absolutely. Fourthly and finally, Jesus will fulfill 
the promise of his return. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen. Are you ready for it? Do you long for it? Are you watching for it? Is there anything in your life that is doubtful? The message today is get rid of it. Anything doubtful in your life? Get rid of it. Is there anything in your life that you would be embarrassed and not want Jesus Christ uh, see you doing when he comes? Let's get rid of it. Let's repent of that as the Lord leads us. Let's pray together.